welcome along to ED's Net Zero Business Podcast, our spin-off podcast series focusing on the growing need for businesses to align their strategies with climate science by setting net zero emissions goals. I'm ED's senior reporter, Sarah George, and I'll be presenting today's episode, so a very warm welcome to you. this podcast series since shortly after the UK government set its net zero target in law for 2050 in 2019. Since that moment, more and more businesses and organisations in the public sector have been attempting to get ahead of the curve by strengthening climate and energy strategies and pledging to become net zero well before the 2050 deadline. This series sees ED speaking with the trendsetters and trailblazers of the net zero movement, those that have set such targets to get insight on just how much work went into that process and how they plan to deliver them. So each of these episodes features one in-depth interview with an organisation that has committed to a net zero strategy. Yes, I'm delighted to be back in the ED podcast studio, albeit virtually rather than literally, for the first net zero business podcast of 2021. 2020 was the year that nobody expected, but Even in these unprecedented times, the net zero movement continued to gather pace and scale. We saw new commitments from nations like China, Japan, South Korea and Canada. Here in the UK specifically, we saw new sector roadmaps for industries including water and retail. And all the while, organisations of all sizes and sectors continued on their own low carbon journeys. 2021 looks set to be another busy year for net zero announcements and, crucially, the expectation for organisations to bridge the gap between talk and action is growing larger by the day. After all, the 2020s has often been referred to as the decade of delivery. With all of this in mind, it's a pleasure to be bringing you this episode today, featuring a super knowledgeable guest from the UK's higher education sector. I'll be dialing the head of the University of Exeter's Environment and Climate Emergency team, Dr Emma Page. After declaring a climate emergency, the university recently set out its net zero vision, underpinned with shorter term goals deadlined at 2025 on key emissions sources. So without further ado, here is that interview with Dr. Page in full. Good morning, Emma. It's a pleasure to have you on our podcast today. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And it's a pleasure to be here. How are you? A pleasure to see you virtually. I'm not doing bad. It has stopped raining for the first time all week, so feeling quite optimistic today. Um, And yeah, I believe it's your first time on on the ED podcast. Is that right? That's correct. Great. So for the benefit of people listening at home, it'd be great to hear a little bit about yourself. So what your role and remit is at the uni and and how long you've, you've been there and what led you to that? So I work as the Head of Environment and Climate Emergency for the University of Exeter. I've been in role for about 15 months and I came here to help them with their climate emergency. 
the the role is quite broad and covers the whole carbon footprint. It covers all of the operations and supports their plan to net zero. It's a very demanding role, uh, mm-hmm. working with students and academics. And as you, your your listeners will will recognise, the, the the change of students every year, the the change of the environment and and the courses and and the projects and the whole breadth of work the university does. Is, is enormous. So as a result, it feels like an ever-changing um, cycle, ever, ever-changing environment, which keeps it exciting, which keeps it um, bright and, and fresh, but also provides that extra challenge that uh, perhaps um, other organisations may not see. Mm-hmm. The, the work that we do looks very much not just at, at keeping our coursework um, and our courses environment and sustainable focused, but also looks at the broader aspects of of how we run our buildings, how we run our operations, what we do in terms of our approach to globalisation, in terms of internationalisation, and and also all the things we buy and where we buy it from. So it's covering a really broad remit. Well, it's crucially important. We had someone from LSE on this podcast earlier this year, and he said broadly the same thing, super busy, but super exciting and so many different touch points that you'd have to think about than, for example, being in a in a private sector company. That's not to say the challenges are any less there. <laughs> no, of course. Um, and I am fascinated by the fact that the title is Envi- Environment and Climate Emergency. Um, normally we see CSR um, or, or sustainability. So h- why is it called that and how is how is your team set up? So the the reason why it has a title of environment and climate emergency was very much led from the working group for that was set up to identify what what climate emergency or declaring the climate emergency would mean. So our journey started with a letter in May 2019, which reached the VC and within only a few days, with the 4000 signatures from staff and students, he declared a climate emergency. the VC and the, the vice chancellor's um, executive group uh, set up a working group, uh, which was led by Professor uh, Julian Osborne, and tasked them to identify all the moving parts. What did it really mean? How do we get there? And exactly, you know, what what would that mean for the community around the university, not just the university itself? So quite a broad brief, and they were given several months to do so. And in November 2019 that report was published. It's a 55-page document, sets out the goals and targets, recommendations, but also provides commentary and explanations. So in terms of why is it environment climate emergency, that working group decided and concluded that just to set a climate emergency wasn't enough. There was biodiversity loss. There were other aspects where environmental features might be missed if it wasn't included as a recognised subject in its own right. We also had a lot of uh, our academics, our climate change experts and academics, our researchers, feedback that sustainability was very old hat. We're not sustaining anything. The way we are currently working, the way we are currently living is not sustaining our planet. It's not sustaining the things that it is set out to deliver. And there needed to be a much stronger term, a much a greater declaration about what we are committing to do. So environment climate emergency is a title that that, that was, was brought about by that report 
and led to not just our net zero targets, but actually came to be the title of the team. The team is set up. Um, we have a very small team, but we work across other disciplines with our academics, with our researchers, and we work with the uh, the key, if you like, leads for the operational strategies to make sure that happens. So whilst we might be a small team, our reach and our engagement and our influence, we hope, is much greater. So the team is, as I say, um, made up of key disciplines. So that is, um, we have a procurement lead, we have an energy lead, we have a travel lead, we, ha we have a small team looking at reporting, uh, we have uh, um, a lady looking after benchmarking to ensure that we're not just looking at what we're doing, but we're also scanning what is best practice, checking out uh, what is the, the latest thinking in terms of uh, the best model possible, and ensuring we keep our, ourselves to account. And we have an ambition, as you will see in the 55-page the environmental working group uh, report, that we have an ambition to, to be a leader in what we do. It's fascinating having these conversations. It's always completely different. Every organisation I speak to, but I'm sure a lot can relate to this this sort of small but mighty um, <laughs> approach. Um, and obviously, we are here today to really drill down into the net zero aspect, um, as as you've mentioned. Um, so, working with that team and and beyond, how how was the 2040 um, dead, deadline reached? So our, our targets uh, are set out within that working group report uh, relating to scope one and two and then to scope three. Mm -hmm. So we aim to be net zero in scope one and two by 2030. And we aim to be net zero by 2050, if not before. And our 2040 plan is our ambitious plan. Right. We know that, that that is dependent very much on supply chain, on the industry, on the ability of the market to be able to progress as fast as, as we want to. And the Southwest, as we're where we're based, has had some impact um, historically from not not having the benefit of all of the services and provisions from maybe central in, in the country. So the rollout of e-charging points, for instance, is less here than in other places. Mm -hmm. And uh, the opportunities for looking at multiple suppliers providing goods and services, again, we don't have a wide diversity. And we're hoping that over the next months and years, with a focus on climate change, there will be greater opportunities, greater entrepreneurial and innovative um, solutions that will be available in the market that allow us to accelerate that target. The certain limitations that there will be, will be funding and there will be um, opportunities. And as we know with COVID, that presents challenges uh, in terms of a lot of a lot of organisations have have in, been impacted negatively, and therefore the, the market to recover, but also the market to focus on these areas both provides a challenge and an opportunity. Uh, but, but talking more about our, our net zero, we have um, worked out what our targets mean in terms of scope one, two, and three, and what is our total footprint? And a lot of people often ask that of us. Yes. It's not just about scope one and two. That doesn't really mean a lot to everybody. So if you're looking at net zero, just give us the, the overall picture. What does that mean? Well, in terms of our whole footprint, we're aiming to have reduced our carbon by 30% by 2025, 60% by 2030, and then have a charted plan to 
the rest of the, of the of the footprint up to 2040 and, and to 2050. We appreciate and we're not aiming to to look at a high uh, value of or high amount of offsetting in our um, strategy. Therefore, it will be our last resort, and we would look to offset only at that that last point. So our, our focus at the moment is very much on reduction and looking at alternatives and looking at everything we possibly can to work with our suppliers, our community, and also our partners to make, make that happen. Great. And out of out of that absolute footprint, you've touched on a few key sources. You've meant you've mentioned transport, you've mentioned supply chain. Obviously, universities, sometimes sustainability sits within the buildings team as, as well. So what where are the key sources of emissions how is how is that whole um broken down and what are the specific plans plans for those focus areas so data is one of our first activities and our reporting team is as you say small but mighty in helping us drive forward not just an understanding of, of what we have as our footprint but where it comes from mm-hmm. and understanding and analyzing if you pull this lever what does that impact how does that change our footprint? So understanding the real drivers for, for our footprint and what solutions may come from just natural operational changes, as well as the investments that may be needed during, during time. Our footprint currently um, is 55% from procurement, 23% from energy, 15% from travel, 6% from, 6% from investments, and the rest is waste and water. However, must caveat, procurement being the largest part of our footprint, that's from bought goods and services. Mm -hmm. That is at the moment one of our areas of um, least visibility. We're using the uh, greenhouse gas protocol, looking at evaluating categories by spend. We know that that actually is not an accurate carbon assessment. And we're we're looking at and doing everything we can to support a greater understanding of our bought goods and services and looking at strategies across all of the categories of spend that we have to identify low carbon solutions, to identify where we can reuse and recycle rather than buy disposable. And we're looking at exactly how we can increase our sustainability agenda and our climate emergency agenda and how we can work with our supply chain to do that. So that's one of our areas of, I suppose, concentration, but also yield the biggest return in terms of the benefit, not just to us, but also wider across the community and whatever learned practices sharing with our partners. Mm -hmm. I imagine that it's the same for a lot lot of organisations. CDP obviously has done research on how much is is scope three. And for most organisations, yes, the bulk does sit there, but there are, as you've as you've touched on, um, lots of things to consider when when measuring um, as as well. So I can only wish you the best of luck <laughs> with with that. <laughs> Thank you. It's a big piece of work, and working with our our, our very competent uh, procurement team, we know we're going to get there. Um, but we're also working very much across the university sector and taking the university guidance, plus also the academic guidance that there's there's been research into. Uh, to be able to make the best approach we possibly can do, but also trial that, test it, and also share it wherever we can do. So we have uh, a strategy with three key or core activities in them. So 
So we understand that the achieving next zero, reducing um, our carbon, will be a requirement not just for one person or one small team in the university, but actually touch everybody, not just from the way we do things. It's cultural and behavioural change. That's at the heart of what we want to achieve. So we have plans for engagement. We have plans for gamification of what we do to make it fun, provide um, training to build climate emergency and SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, within our curriculum. But our plans, I think they fall into three key areas. So the first one is about delivering a strategic approach. And we have an environment climate emergency policy, and that has key leadership statements within it. This sets out the governance and an agenda for change. And it allows the members of the vice chancellor's executive group to own certain areas relating to their to their uh, discipline or responsibility. Mm-hmm. This means that we've got governance at the top, we've got sponsorship at the top. So no matter um, where we are at, we have somebody who can be a leader for change in those key areas. The second is colleges and professional service climate action plans. So not just leaving it to some broad statements, but actually having individuals at every level of the organisation contributing to their departmental plans. And for that, we have scorecards and we have targets for each uh, team, each department, so that they can individually contribute in their own way. Our colleges and our our professional service teams are all made up differently, all doing different um, activities, and their operations differ. And as a result, some colleges or some teams may be able to reduce more of their travel or reduce more of their printing or reduce more of their occupancy of building and do more remote working. Others, such as labs, will require a different strategy to ensure that they have their own only use recyclable um, or reusable equipment and wherever possible, look at reducing freezer temperatures. Uh, There are lots of of different strategies and the climate action plans can bring out the individual action and reward and recognise individual teams for how they can share the university's agenda. And then, of course, the last, um, if you like, bucket of of, of projects and work are the university-wide programmes that that we can support and drive through. All of these um, different areas may be interlinked and they may have similar uh, themes, but it's how individuals will embrace them. So the university carbon savings projects, annual programme of projects that are specified to deliver a certain amount of carbon and are project managed and delivered and deployed, and also no cost initiatives and agendas that actually get more engagement and promote individuals themselves to also do more sustainable, more climate friendly things at home and at work. So those three areas allow us to broadly sweep across the whole university, touch the hearts and minds of all of our students and, and colleagues and actually positively engage them in things that they can do to making the change that you want to see individually. Fantastic. And something that we are asking everyone that comes on this particular podcast is about the net zero versus carbon neutral um, definition, because I've interviewed people from organisations that have gone for net zero and others that have gone for um, carbon neutral. So how come the university has gone with the with the former and how do you define those terms, differentiate them? So the term um, net zero 
arose from the Working Group report, and we've embraced and embodied that report in its entirety. It's been backed by our Vice-Chancellor, it's been backed by our Vice-Chancellor's Executive Group, and we are working through that to ensure we have um, their intentions at the heart of what we do in our delivery and deployment strategy. The net zero term to us is very much about adding no more emissions to the atmosphere than we take out and balancing the rest. So basically reduction first. And as we come to look at that point where we have a residual carbon, which we cannot reduce, looking at a mechanism, a local mechanism to achieve zero, maybe environmental net gain. So tree planting, local sequestration. There's lots within Devon and Cornwall to go out there. We have oceans, we have lots of moorland. And we have research and studies into working with our farming community, planting strategies, coastal vegetation, seagrasses, salt marshes, lots of carbon reservoirs where we can look at enhancing those and looking at environmental net gain. Carbon neutrality, um, and this is hugely debated, um, but our take is carbon net zero. Carbon neutrality looks at an alternative strategy whereby offsetting is more, uh, if you maybe larger part of that footprint, larger part of, of that agenda, right. funding equivalent amount of carbon savings elsewhere in the world. So not necessarily local, not necessarily um, re- reducing everything they can. That's the broad definition that we are working to, but this is a hugely debated subject. And it may be that these terms are totally interchangeable. We're all aiming for reducing our emissions and to be honest net zero or neutrality they're both great things to aim for as long as we're doing the right thing according to you know our if you like approach within reducing first and working through with our partners and supply chain and we can work together on those solutions fantastic well emma i think that's a really positive note to leave leaves this conversation on i'm sure we could be here all day talking about the touch points that the university has with communities government um, other academics businesses of all sizes and i'm sure we will touch on that more as we run up to cop 26 but for now i will let you get get cracking with your day and it's been a pleasure having you thank you very much it's been great to talk to you So thank you once again to Dr Page and Edie will of course be keeping a keen eye on the University of Exeter's next sustainability announcements. Of course the Net Zero movement has been gathering pace far beyond the walls of Edie and of the University and with that in mind it's time for our Net Zero news in brief. Over the past month there have been some big developments in the global Net Zero conversation even in the context of Covid-19 so I'm going to pull out three top stories for you now and briefly run through them. Firstly, the BBC's Director General Tim Davey hosted a webcast this week with all of the broadcaster's staff in which he outlined plans to launch a roadmap to net zero by 2030 later this year. He talked about how he regretted that the firm had not already developed such a target and framework. The likes of Sky and ITV already have net zero targets. Secondly, multinational food and beverage giant PepsiCo set a 2040 net zero target underpinned by commitments to reduce absolute emissions from direct operations by 75% and from the supply chain by 40% by 2030. It will be accelerating work on electric and low emissions vehicles, recycled materials and regenerative agriculture in particular. And last but by no means least, 
a zero-carbon forum has been formed by several of the UK hospitality sector's biggest chains, including Nando's, Pizza Express and the Restaurant Group, which is the owner of brands like Wagamama and Frankie and Benny's. With support from industry trade bodies, the companies are going to collectively plot a course to net zero and publish that framework before COP26 in November. As roadmap contributors, businesses are required to report annually on progress and to better collaborate in a pre-competitive way on electric vehicle infrastructure and clean energy procurement. So thus concludes our Net Zero News in Brief, but before I sign off for this episode, I'd like to take a moment to remind you that there's less than a month to go until our Sustainability Leaders Forum and Sustainability Leaders Awards. The conference is taking place in a new virtual format from February 2nd through to February 4th, with the awards on the evening of the 3rd, recognising excellence across the broad spectrum of sustainability leadership. Our theme this year is super important. It is inspiring courageous collective action to solve the climate crisis. And we're delighted to be hosting more than 80 talks and eight interactive workshops on the topic. We have lots of expert guests coming along from organisations like the World Green Building Council, Unilever and the Coca-Cola Company. I'm particularly excited to hear from former Energy Minister Claire O'Neill and from Quasi Quarting MP, recently promoted from Energy Minister to base secretary. To find out more and to register to attend, visit event.ed.net slash forum. That's event.ed.net slash forum. And I look forward to seeing you there. In the meantime, please do subscribe to and follow the ED podcast portfolio wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, iTunes and Spotify. And for more net zero news, the ED website and newsletter will be your go-to. The sign-up button for the newsletter is in the top right corner of the site. But until next time, it's a goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye.